Hey, this is Nick here. I wanted to send a quick message to the founders out there. If you're raising your first round of capital and you're not located in the Bay Area, New York City, or Boston, we'd love to connect with you. Newstack leads deals for founders that don't fit the standard Silicon Valley profile and are located in undercapitalized areas. If that describes you, or if you know a startup that fits that description, please send us an email. It's team at newstack.vc. Now here's a word from our partners. This episode of TFR is brought to you by Pacific Western Bank. Pacific Western is the leading provider of venture debt and banking services to startups, growth stage companies, and their investors. Go to pacwest.com to learn more. Welcome to the podcast about investing in startups, where existing investors can learn how to get the best deal possible. And those that have never before invested in startups can learn the keys to success from the venture experts. Your host is Nick Moran, and this is The Full Ratchet. Welcome to another special release of Investor Stories. On this installment, the experts discuss a startup that they did not invest in, why they passed, and if there was a key learning that now informs their approach. Here's the segment called Why I Passed. On today's special segment, we have Brendan Wallace of Fifth Wall Ventures. Brendan, can you tell us a story about a startup you passed on and or mention reasons you commonly passed? Yeah, so I don't want to say specific names, but I can talk generically about a reason why we sometimes pass on companies. Oftentimes companies, and I find this in real estate fintech, it's especially prevalent. Companies are solving problems that have already been solved. A lot of companies that are trying to increase liquidity and increase transparency on the commercial real estate side of of the world, different than the residential world. And frankly, there actually are a lot of solutions. and, And those markets are fairly liquid and fairly transparent, far more so than on the residential side. And I think one of the reasons we've passed on a few companies is that entrepreneurs ideated great approaches that I think like solutions to a particular problem that didn't really exist. It existed notionally or it existed as an idea, but they just didn't know enough about real estate capital markets to know that there actually were structures and products that allowed investors to make a particular kind of investor investment or structure a particular kind of security. So I'd say what's really important for entrepreneurs to do in the real estate tech world is make sure you understand your ecosystem. Make sure you understand what are the set of solutions out there. Don't make the assumption that something doesn't exist when it very well may. It just isn't known by Silicon Valley and kind of the generalist VC world because real estate is such a large capital market. There are so many financial products and so many players in it that you really have to build that knowledge set before you launch into building a quote, disruptive solution. Good lesson for any sector, actually. On today's special segment, we have Bilal Zubiri of Lux Capital. Bilal, can you tell us a story about a startup you passed on, how the situation played out, and why you passed? (laughs) Are you looking for an (laughs) anti-portfolio? You got it. Yeah, of course. So look, I spent 15 years in Boston. I knew the Boston ecosystem really well. I was an MIT grad, knew a lot of startups coming out of MIT, and it's a hotbed of innovation. And I've 
several investments in Boston. Several years back, I met a company that was just spinning out of MIT Media Lab. There's a bunch of young students that were building a 3D printing technology that was highly differentiated from sort of the glue gun on stepper motor technique. I looked at that company and this company was called Formlabs. And I think I did not appreciate enough a how differentiated their technology actually was from all the other companies, you know, talking about moats, as we were doing earlier, this company seemed to have a moat, but I kind of lumped them up with the other plastic 3D printing companies, which they were not. And I think I also underestimated the founder's passion and motivation to persevere and build this. They were young students, and I thought that to compete with an increasingly competitive space, they would first need to go out and recruit some industry experts because the industry had grown up pretty fast. Well, I did pass on the company investing in the seed round. I did not invest. Had I invested, I would be a happier person now. Um, <laughs> the company has done well. Those founders have shown the world that their technology is used. In fact, almost every startup, technology startup, at least in our portfolio, that's doing hardware that I visit have uh, one of those printers in their offices. So wow. clearly they've done something well. Still work ahead of them, but I think they did a really good job and shame on me for not investing. Yeah. Some of the toughest passes I've ever made are just amazingly ambitious and engaged and passionate founding teams that for some reason I just don't feel like have maybe the right market fit or product market fit with the team or the right experience set, but they're probably going to come back to haunt me. <laughs> yeah. Look, one of the general lessons that I've picked up over 10 years of investing is that the venture industry and the startup industry changes a lot every two, three years, and you can't hold the same ideas constant across time. Now, as I mentioned, I looked at a set of 3D printing companies. I thought they were all similar. Then I passed on Form Labs, and I should not have passed on Form Labs. And had I kept my thesis of not investing in printers because they will eventually become commodity, I would have missed on investing in desktop metal, which is a printer company and right. arguably one of the successful companies in our portfolio. But I think we, we were, I would say, part smart and part humble enough to revisit our thesis and constantly question ourselves that I think we were able to course correct and find a great investment. At this point, if you're a VC, you've heard of Carta. You've probably even accepted securities from a portfolio company on the platform. It feels like every new company is using Carta, and there's already 16,000 VC-backed companies on the platform. They also offer tools and services for VCs like fund administration. Carta has an army of fund accountants delivering high-quality service and dedicated teams of engineers constantly improving the functionality of their user-friendly investor platform with in-app quarterly reporting, real-time fund metrics, LP portals, and more. It's also easy to switch from an existing fund administrator or to augment your in-house team with their service. Learn more about their services at carta.com forward slash investors. And this episode of TFR is brought to you by Pacific Western Bank. Pacific Western specializes in providing financial services to startups, growth stage companies, and their investors, helping to navigate financial obstacles by providing access to funds and expertise. Pacific Western's customized products and team of venture banking specialists provides a banking experience designed specifically with startups and VCs in mind. If you run a tech company or if you invest in tech companies, it's strongly advisable that you build a relationship with the folks at Pacific Western. Go to pacwest.com to learn more. On today's special segment, we have Joe Medved of Lehrer Hippo. Joe, can you talk a little bit about the anti-portfolio? It could be a good pass, could be a bad pass. Uh, tell us a story about a startup that you passed on. 
Sure. So, so I, I think my favorite, or maybe I should call it my least favorite one. So when I had started, I started at this fund I mentioned earlier called Constellation Ventures, uh, which was part of Bear Stearns at the time. And, and I think it was about 2004. You know, we were actively focused on the digital media space. And I can, I can remember walking down the street with my brother-in-law, who at the time was at Columbia. Um, and he said, hey, I have these friends. Uh, or he, he was basically, he was like, hey, have you heard of the Facebook? And uh, I said, no. I said, he said, how come you haven't heard of the Facebook? I can even call yourself an investor. And uh, it turned out he was friends because he was at Columbia. You know, they, he said, I have some friends at Harvard who started this thing. And so he had some buddies that were involved with Facebook. Uh, I looked into it and I looked at some of the, the early metrics that had been posted publicly. I went, wow, this is amazing. And so I had been, I mean, I'd been at Constellation, I don't know, maybe six months. And I put together this sort of detailed email. I said, I think this is a really interesting company we should look at. And like, I was pretty you know, junior and, and fresh there. And I'd come from investment banking where you are, you are not necessarily taught to speak your mind all that much. <laughs> but I, I, I kind of went out and I put this together and I was really excited about it. And I, you know, I circulated an email to the group about it. And I said, I really think we should look at this company. And, and it was crickets, like nobody responded. And so I was like, oh, maybe this was a stupid idea. Maybe I shouldn't have, uh, have uh, recommended this. So I, I unfortunately never followed up on, on trying to, uh, you know, move forward with that investment, which obviously I, I regret at this point. And I, I'm not saying that we could have gotten into it anyway at that point. I'm sure, uh, you know, Jim Breyer was all over those guys, but it's certainly one that I recall. And, and I remember I never am afraid to speak my mind now when I think there's an interesting opportunity because uh, that would have been a really nice company to have invested in at that stage. Wow. The tough ones early in the career. I, I've had some of those. When yeah. I'm circulating a deal to you know other syndicate partners, I'm kind of reticent. I'm like, ooh, are they going to like this? Or do they think it's yeah. good enough? And <laughs> it's it's tough. It's always tough. The challenge is too, I mean, honestly, and, and people always say this, and it's, you know, I, I, I don't know that it's completely true, but often the most interesting companies are the ones that are so divisive, right? Right, uh, right. You know, like I can think about, you know, partner meetings I was in where, we came out and even at Softbank at one point, we had, I mean, we had like eight or nine partners at one point when I was there. I can remember distinctively walking out of, you know, one uh, investment meeting with a company that we walked out and everyone's like, this is the fund maker. This is going to be amazing, incredible outcome. And it was a complete zero at the end of the day. <laughs> uh, right. And, and then we've had others that were, you know, very divisive that ended up being very successful investments. Right. So it is challenging. Like you get excited about something. Maybe it's in an obscure space. You know, you reach out to people. I mean, like the example of Ben with Casper, like everyone thought that was kind of silly. Like there's like there's no frequency of purchase. Yep. Uh, and lo and behold, it's, it's been a phenomenal company. Right? Interesting. That will conclude this installment of Investor Stories. If you're enjoying the program and would like to see it continue, take a moment and leave a five-star review in iTunes. Also, if you'd like updates on new content from TFR, as well as the top 10 VC articles every week, go to fullratchet.net and sign up for the newsletter. Okay, that will wrap things up for today. Until next time, over-prepare, choose carefully, and invest confidently. Thanks for joining me.